Amen. Praise the Lord. Just everyone shout somebody, look at somebody and say, you look good tonight. You look good tonight. Find another say, you look marvelous tonight. <laughs> Glad to have you here tonight on Wednesday night on Bible study. And we're going to continue our little study, but we're going to do something a little different tonight. Is that all right? Yes. Uh, I want to do a study. I, I enjoy discovering things in the Bible. Amen. Yes. Does anybody, do you like just to discover new things? I want, to, I want to get you, some of you guys, I know you've never seen this, but uh, to, to, be just, to just get you to the point where you can discover something new in the Bible. Anytime I get the opportunity to prove the Bible, it's a blessing to me in my life. First job I was ever put on in my uh, career, I was marched in and sat down beside an atheist and a homosexual. I was the only Christian in the whole office. By the time I left, the atheist had gave his heart to the Lord and the homosexual had turned back straight. Yeah. Left from that business and went to the next business. And there was a homosexual that was there and a witch. And they were practicing witches. By the time I left there, they were in church and had gave their heart to the Lord. Yeah. And I, I'm grateful that God has given me a gift where I can take a history book down and I can show you that God wrote the history before it was ever written. I can prove to you that Jesus is the Son of God, that it's not Allah, it's not Buddha, it's not anybody else. Amen. And I thank God tonight that he's given us a manual that we can follow and we can go forward through. We're still going to be in Genesis tonight, but I first want you to turn to the book of Matthew, and we're going to be in Matthew chapter number 5 just for a few minutes. But we uh, frequently, in the, in the church, we use the word, the familiar term, the gospel, or good news, or good tidings, glad tidings. And many of us uh, may not even know what the word gospel truly means, but gospel has a Greek word and a Hebrew word. It, it actually just shows up in the, the New Testament. But the, the Hebrew equivalent is good news or glad tidings, and that is shown in the Old Testament. The Greek word for uh, gospel is evangel. I can't hardly say evangelion, which actually means to go out and preach a message. And the Hebrew word is besorah. And those meanings means to announce good news. But not just to announce the good news, but listen to what it said. It means to evangelize. Everybody say evangelize. But in Hebrew, it goes deeper than that. In Hebrew, it means that you bring a good report. But you announce that good report at a feast where you're feeding people. And you have prepared a choice piece of meat for them where... While you're feeding them. So when you preach the gospel. I have prepared a choice piece of meat for you. Mm -hmm. I'm a chef. And I'm putting it together. Evangelizing your heart. And I may start you out with a little appetizer. But by the end you'll get a main course. Right. I've never had nobody. Get filled up on the appetizers. They always want the main course. But the problem is, so many of us, let me rephrase, I've had a lot of people get filled up on the appetizers but never be able to eat the main course. Uh -huh. So tonight, we want to kind of go in and kind of figure out a few things and prove that the Bible is the inspired, God-breathed Word of God. Is that all right tonight? Yeah, yeah. So the question is, where is the word gospel first mentioned in the Bible? Now, if you do a word search, you'll find out that it's shown in the book of Matthew. But let me take a little quiz here real quick. Sissy, what book of the Bible would you say that the word gospel shows up in the first time? What would you think? Just, just, just Matthew, she says Matthew. What do you say? Genesis. Everybody agree on Genesis? Yeah, those of us heard me a while know it's going to be in Genesis. Where at in Genesis? Where at in the first chapter? First verse. I promise you they heard this before. Where at in the first verse? Huh? Where at in the first verse? How many agree with John say the third word? How about the first word? 
First word is Bereshith. And uh, that word, Bara, means son. And we're going to go into that just a little bit here. But, but, but many folks missed that the Holy Bible basically is an integrated message. But the first time it's ever mentioned is in Genesis chapter number one, verse number one. And the word Bereshith preaches the entire gospel and prophesies what's going to happen here on this earth. Now, the great discovery of the Bible is that the Bible is an integrated message system. You remember what I'm saying now? Uh, the great discovery about the Bible is it's an integrated message system. Everybody say system because that's a key word. It's not just 66 books that's written over thousands of years by 40 different authors. That's not how it is. There is an integrated whole that contains a system in that integration. And that system gives you the opportunity to learn and then understand the Word of God. And that system, when you learn it and how to, to study the Bible with it, you can follow the whole Bible. And it will begin to open up to you like a flower. And it will bear to the student of that system uh, that there is a supernatural engineering going on in the pages of the Bible. There's not just a few places that this supernatural engineering is going on. It's not just in a few books or in a few chapters, but in every book and in every chapter and every verse, there's a supernatural integrated message system that God has in place for the student of the Bible to learn the Bible. It's not just every verse, it's every word. And it's not just every word, it's every letter. And it's not just every letter, it is the punctuation marks in the Bible too as well. They all come together and fit into a system that conveys to mankind a supernatural message. That's why it's important for you to study the Hebrew and the Greek, kind of find some things about it. Some say, well, I'm not intelligent enough for that. There's enough of tools that you can do this without even going to school anymore. So you can do it on your own. But there is something very, very original and very, very spiritual about the language of Hebrew and the language of Greek. In fact, Hebrew has 22 letters in it. And in that 22 letters, each one of the letters has three different meanings with it. And it is the language that God spoke when he created the earth. It is a heavenly language. Greek is the common language for man. And they are God-inspired. So everywhere that the, the word is put, everywhere a letter is put, everywhere a little dot is put, everywhere a little punctuation mark is put, it is inspired by God, and they <laughs> declare a message. So that's why it's not just good enough to read the Bible. You've got to study it. And that word bear sheath, when you look at that word bear sheath, in that you begin to get an idea of what God is saying in that. What the Bible says in verse number one, chapter number one of Genesis, in the first word, Bereshith, means the Son of God created this earth and will die for the inhabitants of it at the hand of God. First verse, first word. God starts preaching a message. Now, the Jewish rabbis, when they teach, and you hear me talk a lot about the Jewish rabbis because they, they've been teaching this a lot longer than the Gentile church. But the Jewish rabbis have a very quaint way of expressing this idea that the Bible is an integrated message. And what they say, quote, they say this, they openly admit that man will never be able to understand the entirety of the scripture until the Messiah comes to earth and sets down and explains it to an all. And when he comes, he will not only interpret every passage to us, he would interpret the words, the letters, the spaces between the words, the spaces between the letters, and the lines, and that he will tell you every little thing that seems to be hidden from you from your view. Now, when I first heard a rabbi say that there, I said, hmm, okay, no great big deal. But I read a scripture one day, and the Lord ministered to me on it and showed me that. Matthew 5, chapter 17. This is Jesus talking. Jesus said, think not that I have come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot, you might want to underline that word, I circle it, 
and one, not one jot or one tittle, circle that word, underline it, shall in no wise pass from the law till it all be fulfilled. And I began to study that. And many of y'all used this word before. You'll say, jot that down. The Greek word for that is iota. When you say not one iota, you even know what you're meaning, when you, what you're saying when you say no, not even one iota. Well, the word jot or the Greek iota is the smallest letter that there was in the Greek alphabet. And it's the 10th letter in the Hebrew alphabet. And it looks just like a comma. It's like a, a backward J without the dot on the top of it. So if you can write that down on your paper, you know what I'm talking about, backward J, without a dot. So God is saying, this little comma, which is the punctuation, is going to be fulfilled as well. Okay? Then he goes on and he says, not one tittle is going to pass away. And the word tittle in the Hebrew is heos, or in Greek, I'm sorry, is heos, but it actually means the little dot that you put above a comma to make a semicolon. Or the little dot that you put on the top of the backward J to make a J. So God is saying, this scripture is so God-inspired that every little dot in it, every little crossing of the T, every little mark in it, every little space in it, every little place that it's put at is put there to convey a message to you. And if you're smart enough to talk to God about it, God will tell you what the message is. So how many of you like to be on discovery? How many like to discover new things? Amen. So Jesus will say in every word, every letter, every mark in the original Hebrew and the Greek language, they are inspired by God and they deliver to you a message. There are many things in the scripture that you will never see. So that's why we are never going to get the full revelation of scripture without studying every letter and every mark that there is in the original Hebrew and the original gospel language of, of Greek. Now, I told you the first word in Genesis chapter number one is Bereshith. And when you study it down, it means it gives you the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he is going to be come to earth, leave heaven, come to earth, and he is going to be put to death at the hands of God for man. That word literally means my firstborn son created this world, and the father will kill him by his own hands for the entire creation. So God didn't just kill Jesus. And you say, wait a minute now. I thought the Romans killed Jesus. This was God's plan for Jesus to die. God didn't allow Jesus to die just for you. He did it for the whole creation, for everything. And when you begin to understand that, the Bible says that the creation groans in expectancy until the sons of God will be manifested. So the creation is waiting for you to show them who you really are. That's right. And that's what God wants us to do here tonight. But I want to share with you a prophecy in the Bible that proves the Bible and proves that no man could have done this. And I want you to go to Genesis chapter number 5. I want you to look at that chapter before I go any further. And I want you to look at what it all says. And I know when most of you, if you've ever read your Bible, you get to these chapters like this, you look at it and say, oh, what's that got to do with the gospel? And you skip right over it. Because who wants to read about Trevor begetting this one and that one begetting this one and that one begetting that one and this man begetting this child and he lived this long and he died and he just one begat that one and had that child and had children, sons and daughters and they died. What's that got to do with the gospel? Every letter, every word, every space, every punctuation mark has a message to man from God. So God is very selective about what he puts in the scripture. And he preaches a message here. And you may have heard some preachers in the past kind of speak on a little bit, but I'm going to go in depth with it tonight. And I'm going to share with you what has already happened and what's going to happen. And God's going to share with you that he knew this and wrote this down and declared it to man through the hands of Moses some 6,000 years ago, long before Jesus ever came. I want you to hear this. So in that chapter, we really want to skip it. How many of you skipped those chapters before and you just didn't read them? Because they didn't think they were interesting, right? They were boring, right? But we see a remarkable glimpse of this integrated system in this chapter where God gives us a message. 
And this chapter is the genealogy from Adam to Noah. It covers 1,656 years. Now, I want to examine this chapter here a little bit tonight. First off, I'm going to show you what I'm going to do. I'm going to take one word out of it, and I'm going to show you what I mean. The word Methuselah. The Methuselah, those of you who don't know him, he was Enoch's son, Adam's grandson. He lived 969 years here on the earth. But his name, Methuselah, means when he dies, the flood will come. And on the very day in Jewish history that he died, the flood came. So God speaks to you in a great way. Now, I want to ask you a question. If you were the mother and the father of Methuselah and you knew that scripture and you knew that God had prophesied, said, the day that Methuselah dies, the world's going to be wiped away. Boy, you'd be scared to death every time he had a cough, wouldn't you? <laughs> Think about raising a child like that. Every time he got sick, you'd say, oh, the end of the world's coming. So every time he caught something, the whole neighborhood would be on edge because they thought that, he, that they were going to die. But his life is a symbol of God's mercy because God spoke to Enoch, his daddy, many years, 969 years prior, and said when he's dead, then my mercy is going to be finished and judgment's going to come. So in that one scripture, you can find there that God is a merciful God, slow to wrath and slow to anger. He takes and sows back and he, he's patient with us. And thank God he don't kill us the minute we deserve Amen. it. Amen? Amen. So I want you to just look at this. I'm not going to read every verse here, but I want you to go home and read these some 29, 30 verses and go through this and uh, find 32 verses and, and, and kind of, Look at it, put it there because I want you to take some notes tonight because in this chapter is a prophecy for man. So let's look at it. It says, this is the book of the generations of Adam in the day that God created man in the likeness of man, made he him and male and female created he them and he blessed them and called their name Adam. Now let me share something with you. I said this in the church of God when I, right when I first was put in there where I went to go help them here a few years ago. And I said, you know, this doctrine that we've got in the church that men and women are second-class citizens, God never meant it to be that way. I said, God didn't name Eve Eve. Adam did. God named her Adam. He said he called their name Adam. So a man and a woman is just as equal as anyone else. So, so ladies, I'm with you. I'm not into all that lib stuff, but I'm with you. You're just as equal as I am in God's eyes. You can do the very same thing that I can do. If you've got a problem with a, a, a female preacher, a female deacon, a female worker in the church, then you need to go to God because they're just as equal in God's eyes because right. God named them Adam. So you can see that there. He said, male and female created he them and blessed them and called their name Adam in the day that they were created. And Adam lived 130 years and begat a son in his own likeness in his image and he called his name Seth. And then we find out Seth went on and he come down and he begat Enos. And then from Enos, he begat Canaan. And Canaan begat Mahaliel. And Mahaliel begot Jared. And Jared begot Enoch. And Enoch begot Methuselah. Methuselah begat Lamech. And Lamech begat Noah. And tonight I want to take what God is telling you through these lives of these people. And I want you to begin to see what God is talking about. In the genealogy, there of 1656 years it's written from Adam to Noah it's written in the second age you remember I've been talking to you about ages so this prophecy takes place and it applies to the second age and you've heard me talk about dispensations age broken down in periods of time so it's written in the second age called the antediluvian age but it's also written in the second dispensation of that age which is the dispensation of conscience, where God has put a law into effect in the antediluvian age, and man is to live by their conscience, and they are put on probation. And during that time, God gives us a prophecy that's not only applicable to the antediluvian age, to our age today. So we're going to get into that tonight. Amen? Amen. We're going to go from there. So Methuselah's name means his death will bring the flood. But Adam, you might want to write some of this down because I'm going to put this together. The word Adam in Hebrew means man, but it's not just man. It means man's wall of protection that is stored up and protected by God. 
So we are supposed to have a protective power over us. The Bible calls it the glory of God. And it's stored up for our protection. So Adam means a man and the man's wall that is protecting the stored up glory of God. So we start out with the first thought that God is talking to man here, saying man, and he's talking about the wall of protection that is stored up and is around the man protecting him. And then he goes to Seth. You might want to write this down. The word Seth, you find it in Genesis 4.25, where Seth is born after Abel is killed, and Eve says, God has appointed me another man. This word Seth means appointed, but don't you hear what it means? It means a time of sitting together and feasting. So the Bible says that God has appointed to man a wall of protection that is protecting them, which is the glory of God. And while they are protected with the glory of God, they can conduct life. They can sit around and they can eat and they can feast. They're free to do what they want to do. Well, then Seth begot Enos. And Enos literally means mortal frailty or misery. It means an incurable wound in the natural realm. It means grief. It means sickness. It means woe. It means wickedness. It literally means a sick man in his morality and his sickness in his physical body and in his morality will lead to death. So we have Adam and Seth. History of the Jewish religion says nobody died until Enos was born. So we're seeing here now that God says that man is appointed, in the third one, mortal frailty, and they're going to have a wound that is in the natural incurable. They're going to experience grief and sickness and woe and wickedness. They're going to be a sick in their morality, and this is going to lead to death. In Genesis 4, 26, I want you to turn there. You need to see something other here. In Genesis 4 and 26, just flip over there. Is this right there at you? It says, And to Seth, to him also there was born a son, and he, he called his name Enos. And then began man to call upon the name of the Lord. I want you to write this out. I want you to write it out because that's not what the original scripture says. The original scripture says that that's when men desisted from praying in the name of the Lord and surnamed their idols Lord. That's when men quit praying in the name of the Lord and started calling whatever they created Lord. This is where idolatry started coming into play. That's where it started. In the generation of Enos. So we have Adam we have Seth and Enos. And in that generation, the moral fiber of being got so bad that God was forgotten about. Men quit praying. All of man just about it quit praying in the name of God, in the name of Jesus, or in the name of the Lord, I'm sorry. And in that generation came another fellow by the name of Canaan. And Canaan means to... Lament for death or lament for the dead. But it goes deeper than that too. In the Hebrew, it means the goods and the wealth acquired of materials to build family security. So they say in Canaan's time, there were people began to realize, hey, people's dying and I'm going to die. And being that I'm going to die now, I'm going to go out and I'm about to kill myself to get the goods and the wealth that I need so that I can make my family secure. There's a whole lot of you today, you're killing yourself just so your family can be secure and you'll never enjoy anything you're working hard for. Am I telling the truth? Yeah. Yeah. 
So we got the same thing going on here. Then Cana had a, 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 a child by the name of Mahaliel. And I love this word. It means the blessed God, my judge. The blessed God, my judge. So now we're putting it together. Man is appointed moral sickness, moral frailty, misery, where an incurable wound in the natural is going to be created. They're going to experience sickness and grief and wickedness. They're going to become idolatrous. They're going to begin to get death-minded and about kill themselves, trying to secure their family and save the family when God's the only one that can save the family. And during that period of time, the blessed God, my judge, is going to do something. And he showed what he's going to do when the next child come into play, and his name was Jared. Now, I want to also add with this, that this same thing was going on from the devil at the same time because he was trying to convince men that they needed to kill themselves, basically, trying to protect the family. But God was trying to show everybody, I'm your protector of your family. So this is where the sons of God started coming down that had failed at the creation and started coming in and marrying these women Mm -hmm. and defiling the people. But the word Jared means... To come down or descend. But it means more than that. It means we'll descend as a man through the door as a ruler and walk among the people in the sense of spreading out his reign rather than ruling at a throne, spreading out his reign. But he's going to leave a prominent place like a palace and come down. So now we see man is appointed mortal frailty and misery, and he's going to go through sickness and create a wound that can't be healed. In the natural realm, he's going to be sick. He's going to lead him to death, and everybody's going to get so wrapped up in death that they're going to almost kill themselves trying to take care of the family, and they're going to be the ones trying to save the family when God's the savior of the family, and they're going to lament for the dead. But God himself is going to come down like a man through a door and he is going to roll and walk in the people and he's going to do it by spreading his rule in people and he's going to leave a prominent place like a palace and come down to the earth. And then the next one we see is Enoch. And Enoch, as many of y'all know, he was the one that was raptured out of here, if you let me use that word. He was translated from this earth to the heavens. And the word Enoch means teaching or to commence something or to initiate. But it means that he started discipleship. He started discipline. He started building a house of dedication. He began to inaugurate what was purposely needed under the name and power of God to dedicate a house instructing and training men to be a disciple. In fact, when you study the Bible, you find out that Enoch is the first of four generations of preachers in his time. So now we're seeing God says man is going to be appointed sorrow and he's going to have all these problems and everything with it and they're going to get so wrapped up with death that they're going to just about kill themselves trying to make the family secure and save the family. But God, the blessed God, our judge, is going to come down just in, in the form of a man coming through an open window and he's going to come down here and he's going to walk upon men and he is going to start to institute He has ruled here on this earth, but he's going to do that by teaching people how to be a dedicated house and to be a disciple. Look at somebody and say, how are you doing in grade school? How are you doing in grade school? Now, we studied it. We already heard about Methuselah. Methuselah, when Enoch had him, he said, when this boy dies, the earth is going to be flooded. So 969 years later on, the earth was flooded. Now I want to share with you something. 
The word Methuselah put together means the deluge will come when he dies. But the word meth means he's going to be an adult when this happens. It'll be like a missile or an attack shall arrive. But it will be at his death that there will be a judgment here on this earth. So Enoch himself received the prophecy of a great flood from God while he was preaching. And he was told as long as his son was alive, that judgment of the flood would be withheld. But the day that he died, judgment was coming. Ain't that what happened? Amen. So now we see the last two. And one of them was Lamech. And it literally means the despairing. If you put it in, in our language, it means the despairing. But it means those people that are, are literally having a powerful lamentation that are despairing so bad and they are lowered and they are beat down and they're depressed. And then he says the last one is Noah. And everybody knows, and you've heard preachers preach about Noah, and Noah has comfort. He, he, his word means he will bring comfort and he will be bring rest. So I want you to look at this. See, I've just shared with you a, a passage of Scripture that has a prophecy for you, and I want to compile it right quick. Can I read out to you what we just talked about? Amen? And you tell me if this ain't what happened and what's going to happen. Listen real good. Man... And man's wall of protection that is stored up and protected by God's hand is appointed a time of setting together and feasting. And during this time, he will experience mortal frailty and misery, bringing an incurable wound in the natural and in his morality, bringing him much grief and sickness and woe and wickedness. And the mortal frailty will lead to death because men will commit idolatry and desist from praying in the name of the Lord, calling their man-made idols Lord. Then he will begin to focus on death and try and rectify or heal the problem by amassing goods and materials as he attempts to create family security while lamenting those who've already died and lamenting his own death. Then the blessed God, our judge, will descend from the palace of heaven as a man through the windows of heaven and walk among the people and rule by spreading his kingdom rule through others by teaching, initiating, and inaugurating the discipline of dedication, training and instructing and producing disciples. Then the deluge will come when his child is an adult and he dies and judgment will come like a missile in the midst of an attack. Afterwards, man will be lowered down in despair and depression producing much powerful lamentation, but, everybody holl out and say buts. God shall bring comfort and rest to the despaired. Someone say amen. amen. So in Genesis chapter number five, we have a prophecy and the whole gospel of God written out right before us. It shares with us what happens in our life if we become too idolatrous. The Bible tells us if we don't go to God, that the, the mortal fiber, our moral fiber, our mortal frailty will not live forever. Our moral life will literally fall to praise and it will pieces and it will literally cause us to die. Do you know that there are people die just because they don't live right? Y'all got me tonight? Amen. Now, how many would agree by looking at that, that no computer or no great, big, nice Jewish rabbi could sit down and write scripture like this and be placed in a Messianic prophecy in the middle of a genealogy, you know God had to write this thing that way. Amen? There is a supernatural intelligence, a power that is behind merely human power that is written in this scripture. So what you hold in your hand, I want you to look at it, grab it, look at it, hold it real good. Yeah. That is your manual that tells you exactly what you're supposed to do, what is going to happen to you. And if you study it hard enough, you'll know exactly what's going to happen tomorrow, what's going to happen the next day. You are literally walking in his peace and you can get every answer you ever need in life right here in the pages of this word. Amen. So there is a supernatural message from first verse in Genesis all the way to the end 
of revelation that God has given to us, and it is a systematic way to study the Bible. How many would love to learn that system, by the way? Would you? I can't teach it on Wednesday night. It's too complex. But I'm thinking that if someone would be willing and I could create the time, then I'd sit down and I'll show you how to study this to find it. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 13, verse number 8, that Jesus was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Now that word world there is not the word eon that you've heard me talk. It's the word cosmos. So when God started this cosmos many, many, many years ago, at the beginning of the earth, when he put the first cosmos down here, God already determined at that point in time that Jesus was going to be the Lamb of God slain. Amen. Now I want you to turn me to Romans chapter 16. I'm not going to keep you very long tonight. I, I love when I can break the Bible out to everybody and people see something they've never seen before. How many of you see and God talk to us through that one chapter, Genesis chapter number 5? Amen. Amen. Romans chapter 16. Verse 25 through 27. When you have that tonight, say amen. amen. Verse 25 says, Now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery which has been kept secret since the world began. Everybody say mystery. mystery. How many like a good mystery? I, I used to, I, I, we went on vacation one time and we went to a murder mystery show dinner. And boy, that was the funniest thing I think I'd ever been a part of in my life, trying to uh, determine after they put the play on who killed who. Boy, that was just nice. But what you hold in your hand is a mystery beyond all mysteries. That's why when you sit down and you begin to study it and you find something another brand new, boy, I'm going to tell you what, it's like I got to find some more. I got to find some more. And you can get wrapped up in reading it. You can get wrapped up and study it before you know it. Two days has passed by and you ain't done nothing but look at the Bible. So right here he says it's a mystery. He says it's according to the revelation of the mystery. Everybody here tonight say, God, I want the revelation of your mystery. I prayed that prayer in my life in my 20s. I prayed it every day for two years. God, I want the revelation of your mystery. I want the revelation of your mystery. Because I'm going to tell you something, since today and a whole lot of preachers that said that, and some of the preachers that went to school, some of them got a degree after a degree, they look like they got thermometers behind their name. They don't know the mystery. Amen. We need to know the mystery. And the only way you can get the mystery is by revelation. Mm-hmm. And I can remember the day and the hour that I sat down at the Bible and it was like an angel was sitting beside of me saying, go here, go there, go here, go there. I didn't, wasn't even looking at, at, at the cross references and telling me where to go. I just read something and he said, right, you go over here and I'll show you where this seat is. And you go here and I, I was able to begin to put it together because God began to reveal the mystery to me. Someone shout amen. amen. Look at verse number 26. He says, but now it's made manifest. Everybody say the mystery's made manifest. How's it made manifest? It says, by the scriptures of the prophets according to the commandment of the everlasting God, and it's made known to all the nations for the obedience of the faith. So the mystery now is not hidden. Someone shout yes. Yes. Because if you really love a mystery, and you really want to get in something and discover and find something nobody else knows, then you'll get in this word because that is your life. That is your bread. The Bible says you will live by every word that is spoken by God himself. And this word is God breathed right down to the, the very dotting of the I's and the crossing of the T, every punctuation mark that there is in it. Amen? First Timothy 3 and 16, 7 says this, that all scripture are ordained and inspired by God and it is profitable for doctrine. It is profitable for reproof. It's profitable for correction and it's profitable for instruction in righteousness that the man of God can be complete and thoroughly equipped for every good work. Everybody just call out and say, I can be equipped. Look at another side. I can thoroughly have everything for good works. God can give you everything you need. You can be fully equipped. You ain't got to ask nobody for nothing. God can give it all to you, and he'll give it all to you through this scripture. Amen? Amen. So the unity of the Bible is a result of a divine inspiration. The Bible don't need nothing else to prove itself. If you know the scripture is good enough, you will find out that every scripture is self-authenticating. 
It tells you the truth right there in the middle of it. Amen? Now, let me share this with you. The New Testament is concealed in the Old Testament, and the Old Testament is revealed in the New Testament. And what it tells you is that God is the same today, yesterday, and forever. And the Bible shares with you that there, from the first verse in the Bible, and the first word in the Bible, that God would send Jesus to this earth, and at the hands of his Father, he will be crucified, or he will be killed on this earth for the salvation of the creation, everything in the creation. And then he comes in here as he creates man, and he says, all right, man... You're going to be appointed sorrow. You're going to have sickness. You're going to have problems because you just won't listen. You got a hard head. You got moral problems. You look at a woman and you got to have her. And it don't matter how bad you need that you that, how bad you need to stay away from her. Here you are with her, and you just fall to the flesh. And because of your morality, because of the way you are, then that sickness that you come into yourself and you sin against your body, that sickness will eventually kill you and take you out of here. And what will happen is that people will lament things. And as time goes on, instead of praying in the name of God, they're going to start praying to another God, and they're going to make idols out of other stuff. But God says, no matter what happens, he says, I sent Jesus down here on the earth and I come in here and I walked in with my rule and I'm going to bring you comfort and I'm going to bring you rest. So God is with you. He's walking you. He's taking you. He's leading God and directing you on a daily basis. And if you will hear him and start studying his word, he will show you stuff like you've never seen before in your life. So God has already told you what's going to happen. How many of you as all have been worried about what's going to happen in a little while? You need to say amen because you have. How many of you ever in your life worried about tomorrow? Amen. Why? Why are you worried about tomorrow? Well, what's going to happen? It's because we don't realize that God said, as your days are, so shall your strength be. I'm going to give you exactly the strength you need today to get through tomorrow. As your needs are, I'm going to provide them. Whatever you need tomorrow, I'm going to give it to you. Don't worry about it. Whatever it is, take no thought for tomorrow. What you need is going to be there. And we can't get that in our head. Because our moral fiber will not allow us to do it. And we fall in faith. And every time we put more faith in our job than we do God, We're building an idol to God. Every time we put more faith in people than we do God, we're building an idol to God. And we're just as guilty as Enos there as we desist in praying in the name of God. And we began to call everything else God's. So God has asked me to come bring this to you tonight because he wants you to share. He wants to share with you that his word is the all-inspired, God-breathed word from heaven itself. I wish that I could take the knowledge that God has given me at times and just hand it out of my head and put it in your head. It would be nice for you to see what I see sometimes. Not meaning that I'm grandiose, but I thank God that God has shown me in this scripture what's going on. And I see things that a lot of people don't see. And the more you study it, the mystery of the revelation of this word and the message that God gave to you personally in your life, you will see that God has a daily conversation with you. And he will tell you things and share with you things, reveal things to you that you don't have to ask nobody nothing about. And you'll find out that they're true. Now, the problem with that is when you get there, you can get proud. You can be like Paul. And you can think you got the big head. Then nobody can't teach you. And the minute you hit that level, I'm testifying about it right now. I want you to hear me. The minute you hit that level that you have arrived and you know more about the Bible than anybody else, and nobody else can help you. God says, all right, I'm going to do an Enos on you. I'm going to show you just how bad you are. And I'm going to send a messenger from Satan to buffet you. Just like I did Paul to keep you humble. That's why I walk with a limp. That's why I have back troubles. That's why I have pain in my body every day. Let me tell you why. I'm going to say it again. Some of you may have not heard this before. I was working in a company. God spoke to me two days before Christmas. And he told me, he says, I want you to go quit this job. 
I got a work for you to do. I didn't know what it was going to be. I said, okay, Lord, I will. So tell me I got up the next morning because I know God spoke to me. I knew it was God. I knew it was God. I didn't have no question. I walked in to the store that day that I was in management over. I walked to the man that was over me, and I said, I need for you to call our boss man because I'm resigning today. Why? I told him. The boss man got on the phone with me, and Sissy began to tell me, oh, my Lord, if you leave, my business is going to go to this and that. You need to help me on my gracious day. You got to stay. There ain't nobody else can do what you're doing. Just stay. Stay long enough for me to get somebody to come in there and replace you. So, all right, I'll do that. Now, at the beginning, I was willing to obey God, and I did obey God. I resigned. That I partially obeyed God. The next day I went back to work. I got in. I called Matt on the phone. I said, have you got anybody sending this way that I can train to replace me? No. That went on every day. I told him, I said, on the third day of that, I said, well, look, I'm going to give you two weeks. You got to get somebody here. I'll train them how it is. But in two weeks, I'm gone. I got to go. Now, I'm already in disobedience. I didn't think so, but I was in disobedience. Two weeks down the road, there ain't nobody showed up. He called me up and he said, well, so-and-so said they were going to come, but they've had a change of heart. Please don't leave me. Stay here. And, I, and we talked there that day, and that was in December. And I told him, I said, all right. And it went on and on and on and on until it was March before I left. Let me tell you how I left. Hmm. I went to go show a house. And before I knew it, I had messed myself up for good. And when I did, I said, Lord, you said you had something for me to do. You told me you wanted me to do what I did, and I obeyed you, but here I am laid up like I am. Why am I like this? And I'm going to tell you, for a long time, D, I was sitting there saying to the Lord, I was the one that obeyed you, and you're going to put me in this situation? And God spoke to me. He said, I didn't tell you to quit in March. I told you to quit in December. I was willing to obey him. I did obey him, but I did not obey him fully because I did not obey him. I was 33 years old. I'm 54 today, and I'm in my 21st year of dealing with, a day, with daily pain every day. So I'm going to tell you, if you really want to know the mystery and the revelation of the Lord, you get on your knees, ask him for it, and you obey him when he speaks. Do not hesitate. Because what that, go back to that scripture, look at it, read it through it. Find out what he's saying. He is saying, man is appointed sorrow, and the only deliverance that you got from it is to accept the coming of Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus said, in this life, you're going to have trouble. How many have trouble in your life? How in the world do you want, why in the world do you want to create more trouble if you're already going to have trouble? Why do you want to go do stuff that's going to cause stuff to come back to you even worse than what it is? You're going to have trouble if you try to live right. Amen. Don't it make you feel better tonight as I close? Don't it make you feel better tonight to know that God already had everything under control long before you ever come around? Don't you know that tomorrow God's got everything under control? Why are you worrying about tomorrow? Why are you worried about what's happening? It's all right to get concerned and pray about it, but once you pray about it, pray in the name of the Lord, lay it at his feet because he's got the answer for you. And he move on. The reason why you're not getting the answer that you need is you're not praying in the name of the Lord like you should, and you are putting other idols before God. So God has asked me to come and share with you that tonight because it's important for you to understand in spiritual warfare how important you are to God. The angel said, what is so important about this man that you're going to leave heaven and go down there and rectify and help him? He was actually not talking about Adam there. He was talking about Enos. Why in the world are you going to go down there when Enos has began to worship other idols and not pray to you anymore? He don't even acknowledge you as creator anymore, but you're going to go down there and you're going to die for him? What's so important about this man? 
is because you are going to be higher than the angels. God created you because he needed somebody to replace the cherubim that left heaven with Lucifer. You're important. Slap that beside me and say, you're very important. Smile at somebody and say, you're important tonight. Stand with me. Look at somebody and say, you're important tonight. Start acting like you are. God wants you to see this. He gives you the answer that you need. Now, I showed you tonight how to study your scripture to find your answer. I want you to start doing this. If you want to know how, call me. I'll explain it to you. I'll sit down with you. I'll walk you through it. I'll give you the tools that you need to be able to discover this. I want this church to know the deep, hidden mysteries of God. You know, Paul said, I want to know the deep things of God. I'm so tired of churches that are so shallow that they don't know nothing deep about God. Because once you know the deep things of God, these little shallow things don't ever please you anymore. Amen. So tonight, if you're glad you came to church, say amen. amen. You feel better with, through the worship that went on here tonight, say amen. amen. If you receive something from the word, say amen. amen. In that case, I want Sister Sissy to say a good prayer and dismiss us and send the angels with us tonight and bring us back love and unity on Sunday. Remember also as well, I think it's Easter Sunday, is that right? Sure. Easter Sunday, we're going to have a big breakfast here. Yes. Susan's going to cook us all breakfast. <laughs> We're gonna have some some grits and eggs and sausage and ham and biscuits and jelly and toast and coffee and all this stuff. And then we're gonna have church and then we're gonna do some egg hunting. Yes. And we just gonna enjoy each other for that day. So let's plan that big help, sister sissy out. She stepped in and tried to help us being the carry is gone at the moment and she stepped in and tried to do that. I told her to go ahead and give everything to Betty and let Betty do it. So I did. Oh, did you? Well, Betty's going to be the one that's done it. So, so Betty's got the job to take care of. So when Betty gets on, you pay attention to her because she's trying to get this done. We want everybody to be here. It's going to be, what, 930 that morning? Yes, sir. That, that means at 915, the stove's got to be on and we got to be ready to eat at 930. Sister Sissy, pray for us. God bless you. Father God, we just came to you in the mighty name of Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for the word. We knew, Father, that we came expecting, and we knew that you had him ready and the word in him. We thank you, Lord, for each one that has come here tonight. We thank you for their safety and protection. We thank you that the word just go in deep and that we have a desire to learn more of you and your word. We thank you, Lord. We watch over you, watch over and protect each one of us until we come back Sunday morning in Jesus' holy name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. And if you have an offering, bring it. I forget it every Wednesday night. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Let's all come up. Yeah.